Welcome to Dig It. This is The Speaker. I'm here with my co-host, the sharp edge and Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs. How are you girls doing? Hey there. Doing good. I am doing great. How about you? I'm not too bad. I need another coffee though. I just brewed some. <laughs> ah, yeah, you're smarter than me. <laughs> I should have done this before we started recording. A few things we're going to touch on today. A little bit of a lot. A little bit of the impeachment hearings. The Edge is going to talk about Iran protests, the Prince Andrew interview, the next part of Corey's transgender report. We're going to talk a little bit about the YouTube's new TOS, the Ebola vaccine, Epstein guards being arrested. That was an interesting one. And something that just happened like half an hour ago before we recorded this that I think we should touch on is the Ukrainian um, announcement of indictments on Burisma. Pretty big. So we'll, yeah, we'll start off. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. So we'll start off with the Prince Andrew interview. I know you girls have both seen it. What's your opinions? <laughs> if I could reach through my computer screen while I was watching it, I would have stopped. <laughs> if I could have replaced the gal interviewing him, I would have been really happy because I would have taken those questions in a whole other direction. So what's funny about it too is so yesterday it comes out saying, Prince Andrew considering second interview to put right things he didn't say. And <laughs> that was pretty comical. And then immediately, then today, just now, Plan world. just now it hit the news. I'm going to read this statement real quick and then we can get into his actual uh, interview, but statement by his Royal Highness, the Duke of York. Okay. It has become clear to me over the last few days that the circumstances relating to my former association with Jeffrey Epstein has become a major disruption to my family's work and the valuable work going on in the many organizations and charities that I am proud to support. Therefore, I have asked Her Majesty if I may step back from the public duties for the foreseeable future, and she has given her permission. I continue to unequivocally regret my ill-judged association with Jeffrey Epstein. His suicide has left many unanswered questions, particularly for his victims, and I deeply sympathize with everyone who has been affected and want some form of closure. I can only hope that in time they will be able to rebuild their lives. Of course, I am willing to help any appropriate law enforcement agency with their investigations if required. So that just hit, literally just hit uh, today. So going back to his interview, though, the part that I think probably stood out the most to others, and mind you, I've been in deep research and writing, so I haven't really paid attention to any reports or videos or comments coming out on, um, you know, opinions on the interview. I'm just telling you my opinion after I watched it and what I observed is the biggest thing was for me, well, two big things, but the one big one was he kept suggesting, he repeated how he knew Jeffrey Epstein through Maxwell. And while he wasn't invited, he was, he was a plus one. And, you know, I, I only knew him because of her. But then the honorable thing to do with this friendship is to fly out there to tell him in person that we can no longer communicate which was in 2010. For like a four-day weekend party. <laughs> right. Make a right. party out of it. Well, and that's the thing. is he, he was coming off as though we walked through the park, we had our talk, and the next day 
I left the next, I believe I left the next morning. And she's like, but you were actually there for four days. So yeah, he kept going back and forth on trying to make it as though he wasn't really friends with him. It was really just a place he'd stay when he came into town three to four times a year. And though he has been to the island and his West Palm Beach place, but he mostly stayed in New York. But you know, so he doesn't really know him that well, but then he'd say friendship. Well, I think we all know that by honorable, what he really means is you fly out to go meet with someone in person when you need to talk about stuff you don't want to talk about over the phone. So, right. so there was that. <laughs> and then, you know, I mean, there's a lot of little things, but one of the other things that really well, he went to go party right after Epstein was released from prison the, the first time. And it was asked, the honorable thing to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, you know, he only goes out in a jacket and tie or suit. That's how he always dresses. So the photo with Virginia at Maxwell's in her upstairs, which he claims he's never been in. You know, he says it's him, but he wasn't there in the upstairs. So I can't prove or disprove that this photo was fake through hundreds of photos of him. And he's right. He is almost always seen in a jacket and tie. However, when he's at, let's see, there was like golfing and a handful of other events where he was in like a sweater and nice slacks. Well, if you look at that photo, he has a dress shirt on and he has dress slacks on. So really all it required once you got in the home and you're no longer out is removing the tie and the jacket. Interestingly, the walk in the park with Jeffrey Epstein, he must feel really comfortable with him because when he went out there, he was in jeans. So maybe he just feels extra comfortable with those people. <laughs> the fact that that's even a talking point, though, that's such bullshit. But I know his excuses were so lame. Virginia Roberts Jeffrey, she has testified in detail about her encounters with Prince Andrew. And there were three instances in gruesome detail, like the first one being where she partied with him in, I believe it was in London and had sex with him at Ghislaine Maxwell's home. But she described how they danced and he was sweating profusely. And his but he had a condition then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm Did sorry. I, to sweat. My alibi is either I had a sweat condition where I wasn't able to sweat, but now magically I can. I was at my house, but earlier that evening I was with my daughters at a pizza parlor. I mean, his excuses were so lame. I can't remember this woman. She's like, you can't remember if you had went dancing with her and had sex, but you but you remember spending the evening with your daughters and going to pizza because that's more memorable. 15 years ago? <laughs> Yeah. It's pretty, pretty damn good memory. I don't remember what happened yesterday. <laughs> One of the other things that was really telling is he kept repeating how he has spent so much time racking my brain and racking my brain, just trying to remember and this and that. And I'm thinking she was underage. Does it require you to rack your brain? It's kind of a, a, a no. quick yes or no. No, I would never do such a thing. So I don't even need to rack my brain. Right, and right. Spending so much time trying to remember these details. He should have just said, you know, the royal family has done a really good job of brainwashing me. <laughs> They've completely wiped my memory of this woman. And the real big one for me was I literally felt an energy shift in myself when I listened to him. It was right after she said about 
the suicide. And well, there's some people questioning whether it was suicide or murder. And he goes, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it the, uh, because, because of the break, the bone break, I believe in the neck or something. I mean, I had like chills because it was this feeling as though he knew something about it. Like he actually knew some details about it and was going above and beyond to try to play dumb. Like, yes, I picked up on that too. I could tell like he, like there was a smirk when they were talking, when they were talking about Epstein's death not being a suicide and I that smirk and that look in his eye I could tell he knew something but to say it the way he did just it wasn't it wasn't it the bone I believe there was like a bone broken it yeah dude that's been reported for for months now repeatedly everyone knows I think everyone could probably give you the actual specifics and details of where it was broken but that part was really weird to me but as far as her interview questions, they sucked. What I would have been targeting if I was her, which I'm sure she was told not to. Yeah, they suck on purpose. Was Maxwell. The only question about Maxwell was, when's the last time you spoke with her? Oh, in spring. It was it was just before Epstein was arrested. I haven't spoken with her since. Well, he repeatedly said he was good friends with her. He's been to her place several times. She's invited to parties with the royal family. And so even the royal family knows Epstein because she's brought him as a plus one. Well, she's a damn handler and she was involved in this trafficking. And that was the line of questioning where she should have gone because Maxwell's still alive. I mean, I'm not saying she shouldn't have asked the questions she did, but a lot of them were just pointless. And she spent way too much time on some of them, but clearly she was told that was off limits. Right, right. And and we know just based off of that, the expose by Project Veritas, that there is a lot of intimidation by the royals to suppress information with regards to the Epstein story. The fact that she even got the interview and did the interview is interesting. And it's only because he was trying to do a damage control and he was allowing that. But yeah, I'm sure there were a ton of things that were off limits in the questioning. Right. So then we got the recent news. Wasn't it yesterday? The two prison guards were just charged. Yeah, we, we had a lot of news just come in the last couple of days, eh? Just reading the statement from the DOJ. So the two prison guards that were on duty when uh, Epstein was being held, the correctional officers charged with falsifying records on uh, August 9th and 10th at the Metropolitan Correctional Center. Defendants allegedly created records falsely attesting to required checks of inmates. The defendants never did in the special housing unit on the night inmate Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide. So this is really big. Of course, they have something to do with it. For whatever happened there, you can speculate all you want. I believe they have pled not guilty. Yes. That happened today. But just reading some of the other things down here. As alleged, the defendants had a duty to ensure the safety and security of federal inmates in their care at the Metropolitan Correctional Centre. Instead, they repeatedly failed to conduct mandated checks on inmates and lied on official forms to hide their their election so and i believe they were offered a plea deal and they both turned it down correct yes them to admit to falsifying the logs and they wouldn't do it yes they left epstein unattended for eight hours in which there were supposed to be 75 mandatory checks and instead they browsed the internet and slept for two hours. Well, and here's something that's really interesting on the release that you're reading. Further down, this sentence really caught me. It says, aside from two other officers who briefly visited the common area of the SHU, as confirmed by video surveillance, no one else entered the SHU. No one conducted any counts or rounds throughout the night, and no one entered the area in which Epstein was housed. 
I would like to know what video surveillance they're referring to because for a long time we've been told that I don't know the layout. So, but, but they're literally saying the common area of the SHU, no one entered the SHU and no one entered the area in which Epstein was housed. We were told the cameras that directly faced Epstein were down. And then there was another set of cameras that were allegedly down that I thought went to like the main, that main hallway there. Wasn't it? Right. I remember those reports too. Now they're saying that prosecutors obtained video surveillance and that these are, you know, charges that were based off of what they saw from video surveillance. So I don't know specifically what cameras that they're referring to because yes, the early reports that we received were that cameras were down, specifically the ones on on Epstein, but I also thought, yes, uh, in that hallway too. So Very interesting. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this. Yes. Uh, now, also, I want to add to this that according to the director of the Bureau of Prisons, who testified on Capitol Hill on Tuesday at a hearing, she said that the FBI is investigating and probing into Epstein's death, and they are looking into whether or not there is a criminal enterprise at play. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Let me, yeah. let me translate for you. <laughs> They're looking into whether or not Epstein was Arkansas-ed. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, 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 the two, and the two prison guards, who will just chuck the names out there because they got released, uh, it was Tobin Knoll and Michael Thomas. I waited a long time for those. I know. <laughs> Corey's been messaging about it for like days. Hey, you guys know the names of these guys yet? Do you guys know the names of these guys yet? I know Corey's M.O., but she's been so busy with y- your transgender report. I was going to ask mm-hmm. you if you had time to pull backgrounds on those guys. I did real quickly on the first one on Noel. There was really nothing to bite on there. The other one, his name is so broad and... Yeah. Hundreds, hundreds of names came up. It's like a John Smith name, isn't it? So bloody common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but we're talking a 31-year-old and a 41-year-old. And is the first one, is Noel female or male? Do they only have male there? Do you know? When I was like doing a quick search, there was a Tova Noel out of, um. it was an island. It was an island. She was an African-American woman. So I thought, huh, I wonder if Tova's a female because they don't, they don't really say, and I don't know if they only have males there. doesn't say here. Nope. So I'll have to look into that after I get these next two parts wrapped up. I'm probably going to get part three. Hopefully, with any luck, I will have that wrapped up tonight and out tomorrow. Hey. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, so many problems. I think you people understand how many problems Corey has behind the scenes. I'm, I'm constantly working on stuff. I got crazy database issues going on now. Yeah. Get it all fixed. Get back to it. I will. The wrong link went out to everyone. So apologize to anyone who subscribes to my site. My push notification just got, was all jacked. It went out a couple days late. So we're working on that. So speaker, what's going on with YouTube? Uh, so this came out like around about last week. This is uh, YouTube's new TOS. And I'll read it to you. Uh, termination by YouTube for services changes. So YouTube may terminate your access or your Google accounts access to all parts of the service if YouTube believes in its sole discretion that provision of service to you is not commercially viable. <laughs> what, now what the hell does that mean? Because that, that, that is very ambiguous. 
Well, I can tell you. I mean, okay. they're going to want to run ads. So when, when I created my YouTube channel, I never set it up to monetize. I never set it up for ads because I didn't want to become a target and it wasn't worth it to me. And I find them annoying. No offense to anyone else who does it because there are people who have you know much larger followings that do that and, and they certainly need to earn an income. Though most of those people have been demonetized anyways. That said, if they can't run ads across your content, if they don't like your content, they're going to demonetize it. And that would kind of fall under the category of what you just said, would it not? Yes, that, that so, does fall under. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to take this, and they're probably leaving that open broadly intentionally. Of course they are. When do these changes take place? I think December uh, 10th, isn't it? December 10th, right? But see, the thing here is, there's a bit more to read on the TOS, but when it says YouTube, right? YouTube's not the service provider here. The service provider is Google. Right. Google owns YouTube. Right. Right. And it also owns Gmail. So it means, so when they say YouTube may terminate your access, they don't mean YouTube. It means Google may terminate your access of your Google accounts or your Google accounts access because Google is the service provider. So does that mean that Google can terminate your Gmail account as well if it's not commercially viable or mm. anything linked and anything you have connected with Google, not just That's YouTube? A question. Exactly, right? That's why I mean that it's ambiguous and it's that for a service because YouTube is not the service provider. Google is the service provider. YouTube is just a service. But if they're saying terminate your YouTube account, I would assume it would just be YouTube. But you know what? Anything is game with these people. They're just... Is, is, exactly. As so they're saying... search the elections, they're going to start picking us off more and 100%. more. 100%. So they're saying that it doesn't matter if you have any strikes against you. It doesn't matter if you have any complaints against you. Nothing like that. That they can just unilaterally terminate you without any prior issues based completely off of whether or not they feel like they can monetize with you exactly yep. but but what is commercially viable there's no not there's us no, there's, there's, <laughs> yeah, but but there's no line to term to determine what is commercially viable is it ten dollars is it and they don't have hundred dollars do they not offer fine print with a couple paragraphs on that <laughs> no so it's BS? Yeah, you're right. It is. <laughs> Everyone needs to know that should this happen, for one, we're on BitChute, we're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud. So our podcast will still be out there, just not on YouTube. Yeah. And at that point, I'm going to have to, once again, kick up some more bandwidth and start pulling the videos right into my site. We're going to try to get on more platforms this week. I'm going to be pretty caught up at home. Got to get my back aligned today. So I'm going to be in bed for a couple of days. I'll sort all that out this week and hopefully we can get some more stuff in. Also want to touch on this though. That's why I said like this is, this is so vague. Like does this mean if you're not a content creator, to so say you just follow people, could they also terminate your account there because those accounts are not commercially viable? I have an account as a consumer or a viewer that I use. But you that's know. not commercially viable. Right. Right. <laughs> They're not going to go after that though. This is to go after right. people like us. Right. No, but but they also can. Say you've got someone that comments a lot and they've commented something bad under the thing or something that they don't agree with, then they can go and take him off for not being commercially viable. Shame. Well, that'll be interesting to see what happens. I I sure hope they don't start picking off some of our look, favorite I, I, awesome I, sources out there. Look, I don't think it's going to happen straight away because Google doesn't work like that. Google likes to put this stuff out into the ethos and then let it sit for a while and let people forget about it. Mm -hmm. And then when they have a reason to 
to, then they can come back and go back to this and go, see, we told you. The more they do things like this, the more alt tech rises. And they really need competition because, as, as we all know, if you work in a capitalistic society, competition is a good thing. And these tech companies don't have it. Good gracious. Let's move into the impeachment and this Ukraine announcement. Ooh. All right. Take, 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 take it away. To, I'm Ed. trying to keep us on time here. We have like a limited time today. So. <laughs> so the impeachment hearing has been just one train wreck after the next. Vendemen testified this week. And a little bit of background. We've talked about him before. He was born in the Ukraine. He's a naturalized U.S. citizen, but he has a lot of ties to Ukraine, which for me puts a lot of questions in my head as far as his loyalties where they are. Mm -hmm. And in fact, he was offered a defense minister position with the Ukraine just recently, which is very strange. But he basically, during his testimony, it was brought to light that he went outside of his chain of command to leak national security information on this phone call to his brother, his lawyer, and the whistleblower, Eric Chiaramella. And he did not follow the, the protocols of going to his boss. He basically leaked to everyone else but but just going to his boss so that was an interesting moment this week and then Wednesday Sondland testified and in his testimony admitted that he had a conversation with Trump and he did not include this in his his introduction speech at all and the conversation was the most important part the conversation he had with Trump was literally what do you want from from the Ukraine and Trump said I don't want anything I want want nothing. No quid pro quo. I just want Zelensky to do the right thing and to do what he was elected to do, what he ran on. That was, you know, the most telling part of Sondland's testimony. And then Adam Schiff comes out and says that Sondland's testimony confirms that the Ukraine call and, and scheme was a quid pro quo. And we're like, what testimony did you watch? Because I just watched Sondland explain how he had had a conversation where Trump literally said, I want nothing from Ukraine, no quid pro quo. But so it doesn't matter what's said in there. That's the thing. Schiff's always going to come out and say the complete opposite of what happened, right? And millions are going to believe him too. And that's the scariest thing about it. They don't work on facts. Right. They work on emotions and they work on how they feel. Like, yes, okay, we get it. You don't like the president, but we, we get it. Right? It's not, it's not. But the fact is you've got no, absolutely no evidence and all the evidence is pointing the other way. Yep. I mean, Schiff's trying to make up this whole bribery argument and there's nothing there. Meanwhile, we actually have bribery going on um, with Hunter Biden and with Joe Biden and with oh, Burisma. Good, good segue. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, on Wednesday, the Office of Prosecutor general in the Ukraine announced that they had indicted the head of Burisma, Nikolia Zlachevsky. Good try. Good try. I'll give you <laughs> I, 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 I could have done it. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, so this, this indictment claims that there's a 7.4 billion with a B money laundering scandal from Burisma that the Obama administration is linked to, and 16.5 million of that went to Hunter and his group. And the official stated in the press conference on Wednesday, 
quote, Hunter Biden was receiving payment for his services with money raised through criminal means and money laundering. Biden received money that did not come from the company's successful operation, but rather from money stolen from citizens. Now in this, just so everyone's clear, so this was just came out on Zero Hedge, which you said, Edge, because I didn't have a chance to read it before we jumped in here, has a video of, a, of the press conference, correct? Correct, but it's not translated. So I watched it, but I had no idea what they were saying. So. And big news sources thus far are not reporting on this, which nope. is not a shock. But so we have, you know, somewhat limited information to go on here. Right. Right. So hopefully we'll get some more news sources picking this story up, but it's being heavily suppressed because they want it all about the impeachment hearing. They don't want this information about Hunter Biden being connected to a gigantic money laundering scheme with Burisma in the Ukraine where they're actually investigating people. Wow. I just, for the heck of it, pulled up Ukraine indictment just to see what would come up. And within an hour of Zero Hedge publishing that, AP News comes out with a title, Ukrainian Gas Executive Cooperating in U.S. Probe of Giuliani. So this is what their focus is. And I'm seeing other sources also reporting on that, but I'm not, I'm not so far seeing others report on uh, this particular indictment. Zero Hedge reported on it, BNL. BNL ended up getting the boot from Twitter shortly after reporting that, correct? Not, not commercially viable. <laughs> <laughs> they got, they got right. and then one other tweet and got suspended. Yep. Interesting timing. I, I do think we need more sources on this. We do. But at, but at the moment, it's, it's looking interesting. It is. We'll keep you posted, people, but we'll see. But if this is legit then it is happening. The, the, the wheels are in motion. And Biden's toast. <laughs> yeah. Biden, Biden, <laughs> Biden was toast anyway. I just saw this on Twitter from an email from Biden's presidential campaign. I'm leaving the fifth democratic debate now. I hope I made you proud out there. I hope I made it clear to the world why our campaign is so important. The thing is, uh, the fifth M debate hasn't taken place yet. I, I think it's tonight, but it's obviously a pre-recorded message. Too early. <laughs> <laughs> he is really, really on top of things. Wow. Wow. His campaign well, that, is I mean, absolutely useless. Campaign, but... It's like the video I did about him the other day when they didn't lock down that bloody Todos con Biden thing and Trump stole the website. Explain for the uh, for the listeners who didn't see your video. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. So Biden put out this Mexican campaign called Todos con Biden, which means stand with Biden, something like that. And what happens is presidential campaign kind of launched this whole thing to get more Mexican voters. Didn't lock down the website, didn't lock down emails. So Trump kind of hijacked the website, bought it, yeah, and his Twitter account. This, this campaign is, I don't know what's going on there, but it's not good. So he did a whole totos come Biden, which is, I think everyone with Biden is what it's translated to. Yeah, so something like that. And he launched this campaign to get more Spanish-speaking voters, but he failed to lock down the website or a Twitter handle. Trump grabbed it and he used... Trump's campaign team, yeah. yeah yes, yeah. Trump, Trump <laughs> campaign he's, he's, he's grabbed that team. and used that against Biden to advertise for how Biden is totally 
a screw up. <laughs> I mean, it played videos of, of, you know, like just gaffes that he has made with regards to Hispanics and with Spanish speaking people. It was awesome. I mean, the, <laughs> the whole counter campaign was just amazing and epic well, and beautiful. It, it was pretty comical. When it comes to social media presence and actually mastering social media in this political climate, no one comes close to Trump and Trump's team. They're, they're absolutely right. jumping on things like that. You know they're looking for things like that. They're looking for little mistakes. They're looking on things they can capitalize on. And like that, that is a good sign of an efficient team that you've got under you. Not this shit. Joe Biden really does live up to the name of Sleepy Joe. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like his whole campaign is so asleep at the wheel and they absolutely have got to be faking these numbers i'm sorry we already know they've been faking polls for a long time so speaker tell us what's happening have you had a chance to look into the uh iran protests Uh, and what's going on there i've I've looked into a little bit it is pretty hard to know exactly what's going on here but i'll just chuck out quickly what we do know at the moment that is nationwide protests that have started started friday because the government rolled out a petrol rationing scheme and slush subsidies that set prices of fuel up by 50 cents that's a lot and the spark from this and the backlash which fired up so quickly i mean Iranian protesters have absolutely no chill because <laughs> as soon as this happened they burned down the central bank yeah, I saw that. Right? Crazy. They've, they've burned down multiple government buildings. So I just really went from a zero to a hundred real quick. Over the last week, I think around about a thousand protesters have been arrested. The full extent of this, of course, is unclear. And they shut down the internet for a while too. Like it's it's, there it's was still shut shut down. There's still limitations on internet access at the moment through the country, except for government figureheads and leaders. They still have their Twitter accounts, of course. They're still smashing that propaganda. But from what like, and, and cell phone service also has been affected. So they really they don't want a lot to come out of Iran at the moment. Yeah, they, they want to control it as much as possible. But so I've heard different reports of casualties. It's really hard to know from 100 to 300. 300 is the number that I'll probably be looking at because they did open fire with live rounds on protesters. Wow. Right? We're really seeing sparks like this all over the world and they're getting worse by the protests like so hong kong's definitely getting worse well we know that that's that's really stepped up a notch as well but yeah these protests are really uh some sort of an awakening in these countries i remember it was like last year there were quite a lot of protests going on with iran and the free iran hashtag was going around quite a lot and then it kind of calmed down and now it's kind of re emerged again i i i i don't think it was ever completely gone because like you you got to understand like you were saying back a a year ago when they had this this free iran thing started moving and that was like really the first time in a long long time that iran actually started to stand up to the mullahs Right. I really started to stand up to their government because stuff like that was snuffed out so quickly prior right you would have you know you'd have the government silencing people with these voices very quickly. Iran was very strict on that. And when it kind of kicked off last year, I think that was really the catalyst of what we're seeing now and what we will see in the future because I don't think Iran's going to go back to sleep anymore. Right. We're definitely not going to fall under the thumb of the Moors anymore. So. Right. Well, thank you for that update. Before we go into the transgender agenda part two, I just wanted to 
let everyone know, I was checking out some press releases on the WHO, World Health Organization. They, of course, work with Gavi, which is the Vaccine Alliance by Bill Gates. And they had this wonderful little press release here. <laughs> Bill Gates. It's like you've got tabs on him. <laughs> I do. I do. Okay. Of course Every do. week. I do. I keep tabs on him. Certain people I keep tabs on. So, so, so check this out. This is what it says. Do, I'm just going to read a few sentences from it. Due to urgent public health needs, the WHO pre-qualified an Ebola vaccine to fast track it to get licensing so they can roll it out in multiple countries. UN agencies and Gavi will be producing the vaccines via Merck. They are claiming that Ebola is now preventable and treatable. The uh, licensed doses will be available mid-2020. And this announcement comes less than 48 hours after the European Commission decision to grant a conditional marketing authorization for the vaccine following the recommendation from the European Medicines Agency. And they're also working to quickly get licensing in Africa and African regulators, of course, are on board. And this is something that the reason it's somewhat alarming is because, well, well, it's the World Health Organization, for one. Right, and Gavi, for two. But yep. um, in, in my research, so I had done a while back the six-part report on the vaccine industry, and um, Merck was very much so in that report. And the, at that time, I remember they were working on this. They were working on an Ebola vaccine, and it was something where – they had said they were really excited about this one because it was something that they were going to eventually kind of incorporate into regular vaccines and stuff. I mean, it, was, it wasn't really making a lot of sense because it's not like we see Ebola over here. And while chances are they're not seeing it in a lot of these places where they're injecting them either, but that was kind of alarming that they just fast-tracked that. When they're cr- trying to fast-track something, you know you have to, you have to question it because mm-hmm. what is it that they do not want you to know are in the vaccines? And it concerns me with the history of the World Health Organization and anything Bill Gates related with regards to vaccines. I mean, okay, so maybe they cure polio or maybe they cure tetanus or maybe they cure HPV or prevent these things from happening. But what are the other side effects? Are there agents in these vaccines that are going to sterilize? That's my question. What are in these? Well, there's definitely agents that have paralyzed. We know that one for certain. And we've got 4.1 billion in injury and death claims since, I believe it's since 1988 on this, which is all, of course, handled behind closed doors. Yeah, well, it's just like what they did with the whole measles thing, which is why I I wanted to do that report in the first place, because I had an actual real-time case study to show people side-by-side what the media was pushing, show the lies and the statistics, because I went back 26 years through reports just to show the discrepancies, and um, I knew knew that they were doing that to try and push legislation, and sure enough, that's, that's what they did. And then they quickly started jumping through the states trying to remove religious exemptions. Everyone needs to keep their eye on that industry, as well as this transgender industry that they have manufactured. So we, we went over part one last week, um, or not really part one. I just kind of gave like a brief briefing on what I was working on. But 
I just released part two on uh, Monday. And this one is more specific to, so the first one is like the timeline of how they manufactured this industry and socially engineered it. And they are exploiting transgenders. And part two is the medical engineering origins where I get mostly into the puberty blockers because that's frightening what's happening right now. And so, so basically back how they engineered this is back in 1969, Marshall and Tanner published the results of their study of 192 white British girls. And they claimed that girls reaching puberty, you know, 11 years old was the age for females. And if they started puberty before age eight, they coined the term precocious puberty. And if it was before age nine for, for boys. So I could go a million miles per hour on all this. Okay, so two years later... <laughs> I'm trying to organize it in my mind. So two years later, miraculously, these scientists out of the New Orleans Institute Laboratory and out of the Salk Institute, and I know Edge is familiar with Jonas Salk, their two research teams came together and they made this discovery and synthesis of GNRH, which is a hormone that they use to then make analogs, which eventually produced this cure for a made-up disorder called central precocious puberty. And the reason I say that is I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, that children don't, you know, gosh, I can remember in elementary school, there was a girl that, you know, was showing breasts, like far more so than the rest of us for that age. And um, she didn't suffer or go through problems because of it. People weren't making fun of her. So, so basically what it means is maybe a girl gets her period a couple years earlier than the others, or because of the hormones coming on a little sooner, maybe they could get a little bit of acne. Maybe the boy's penis starts developing a little earlier, and I don't personally well, think any boy would probably have a problem with that. Why do you have to medicate that? That's just exactly, nature. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but the biggest thing they say is height that it can affect height because what it'll do is it'll pre create a growth spurt earlier on than normal. And then that growth spurt will taper off. So maybe you end up being four, four instead of four or five, four instead of five, six, or, you know, why is that a problem? Mm. So, so here's what's crazy. So, so basically it's about vanity because that's what they've, you know, through Hollywood and everything, that is what they've programmed into society is everything is about appearance and vanity. And so we're going to play on that. And we're going to say this is a problem and that this, so, so if you go into, for example, the Mayo Clinic or any of these other medical websites, they all use the same language. It's almost verbatim. So it'll show, you know, the symptoms, breast growth and first period in girls, enlarged testicles and penis, facial hair and deepening voice in boys, um, rapid growth, adult body odor, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like waiting to read, okay, I'm reading through, reading through, well, how are they testing all this? Well, of course, you know, there's a million tests that are going to cost you a fortune. And I look under complications thinking, well, is this going to affect their bones or their organs because they're growing too quickly? No, short height is the number one complication. And number two is social and emotional problems because girls and boys who begin puberty long before their peers may be extremely self-conscious about the changes occurring in their bodies. This may affect self-esteem and increase the risk of depression or substance abuse. Yeah, substance abuse. That's kind of an odd one to throw in there at that age. So they're basically creating a disorder. Oh, and then another thing they do, what they throw in is um, they throw in these, these like horrific things like tumors or a brain condition 
because they don't really under, fully understand the cause of this early puberty. So we have found though, that if there's you know a problem with their brain or they have tumors, that that could lead to precocious puberty, which are entirely separate things altogether that require their own diagnosis and treatment. But let's put that in to scare the shit out of parents. So they think, oh my God, my kid's displaying acne at age seven or eight. This can't be normal. Oh my God, what if they have a brain tumor or something, you know? I mean, this is the, this is the crap they do. So shortly thereafter, you now have Supraline. You have the Salk Institute coming out with the first patent, the first hit in the market, first ever to hit the market on puberty blockers to control this. Then we have just a couple of years. So that was in, the patent was late 80s. The 9192, I think is when that was approved. And then just a couple of years later, we had Lupron. And people should really go in and read this report because there's, I have so much details in here. Um, I have like FDA documents and um, where they're telling them that they have to, just in 2016, that they have to update their warning and safety labels because it pertains to the risks of seizures and serious psychiatric adverse events. That's what this medication can cause. If you go through the list, I have it all on here of all the side effects. They are 20 times more horrific than your child possibly feeling a little self-conscious because she got a period a couple days or a couple years earlier than her friends or, you know what I mean? That's always the case. The Mm -hmm. the medications that they provide always have symptoms that are way worse than than what it is they're trying to treat. It's insane. Without, and without long-term studies on this. Yeah. You know, we have a, um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll just read a couple sentences, a quote from a Dr. Paul McHugh, who's a distinguished professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Johns Hopkins University, which is ironic because Johns Hopkins was the first to secretively open a gender clinic back in 1966, performing surgeries. And then they shut, had to shut down because of a lot of controversy over that. And now they're, you know, they're back to it. So he says, many people are doing what amounts to an experiment on these young people without telling them it's an experiment. You need evidence for that. And this is a very serious treatment. It is comparable to doing frontal lobotomies. I believe it will be something like how we think of eugenics now. We will come to regret it when we discover how many of the young people that were injured regret it themselves. And he had a lot more to say on this. It's really important because... Look, just Lupron alone, that, that medication has had now, and this is grouped, okay? So just so people understand, Lupron produces like three different meds. They've got the straight up Lupron for prostate cancer, and then they've got, I believe it's the Lupron Depot for endometriosis, and then the Lupron Depot-PED for the children, for the puberty, you know, central precocious puberty. But grouped, the adverse reports, there was, um, I think it was an AB an investigation by ABC out of Las Vegas, if I'm remembering correctly, that was just done like a year ago. And it was uh, 25,000 adverse event reports with 1,500 deaths. So here's the thing. They've completely institutionalized this. They've already passed laws in four states where LGBT has to be taught in the education system. They have, have completely manufactured this industry. There are so many players involved in this that have been pushing this since the 1950s to create a huge money-making industry and they are targeting children hardcore right now. 
They've already opened up over 50 gender clinics. Boston Children's Hospital was the first in 2007. They, they treat kids 3 to 25. I've talked to many people about this <laughs> from all walks of life, in, including psychiatrists and gay people and, you know, asking about their experiences. And I'm sorry, but this is, this is child abuse. They are sterilizing them and forever that, you know, they're convincing them that they can flip genders as though it's a choice and that genitalia is relevant to our gender and they're teaching this crap in schools and they're programming people and every college university education system is flooding this. What kills me is when they um, get to someone who's vulnerable or depressed mm -hmm. or, or in just not a good state of mind and that's when they get their messaging out to them. Oh, gender re reassignment is going to be your answer. And right. It'll make you feel whole again, even though the attempted suicide rate with transgenders is 40%. And, and most of which me. happens after surgery. But once they put them on these, this hormone therapy, it's a lifelong thing. Be aware of it. Spread. Talk to people about these sort of things. It's the best way to combat it at the moment, I'd say. Fight legislation. Be careful who um, has your child's ear. You know, if, you're, if you put your kid in or your teenager in therapy because of depression or anxiety or low self-esteem, make sure that you're in alignment with whatever that therapist, their viewpoints are because... Because you know, they're training the therapist. They're training the endocrinologists, the surgeons, the doctors all across the globe. This is a huge industry. It's really quite scary. And part three I'm working on is about the funders and the profiteers. So, and then part four will be manufacturing the reality. And I have a whole wealth of information in that part as well. And when I'm done <laughs> releasing all of this freely to everyone, because this needs to get out there, I'm going to um, PDF it because it's going to end up being about 70 pages long. It's like a book and it'll be available in my bookshop for download in PDF format because I know it's a lot of information to take in. And some people really, really need it because this is, this is hitting some people at a very personal level and mm -hmm. they want to share this with friends and family members. Look, here are the facts. This is what's actually happening. And, it, and it's, that's the problem too is, you know, it's a mental illness. Most of them have suffered, almost all of them can pinpoint when they suffered various traumas in their childhood. Some in many cases is child sex abuse and they become confused. And then they have these, you know, doctors coaxing them into this, jumping the gun instead of treating the traumas. And so I'm certainly not suggesting that, you know, being transgender is not a real thing. It certainly is, which is why I said exploiting transgenders. It's that they are exploiting that community and they are glamorizing it and, tr and trying to make it seem like this trend and um, adding a third gender to state IDs and birth certificates, really going all out on all of this. And for those who aren't aware, to put this in perspective, Planned Parenthood is the second largest gender affirming hormone therapy provider in the nation right now. Now, they don't all prescribe for the puberty blockers, but some of them do. But the point is, you know darn well if they're getting in on this, which just three years ago, they were only offering this at like 27 of their centers across the country. Now it's nationwide, they're number two. So you go in, you do your test, you bring in information to them, they take blood from you, and they write you a prescription. 
and they give you instructions on how to do these injections. I can just, I can already see it in my mind. I'm keeping my eye on it because I can already see it. They're going to start opening up wings for surgery, for actually doing transitioning surgery at these places. And who, by the way, is funding Planned Parenthood greatly? Our government, our taxpayer dollars. Yeah, both of us have covered them a lot in, uh, in our reports. So, and they just recently in court had to admit to selling fetal body parts. So yeah, they're not, not, not good. Not good people. No, not at all. And on that unhappy note. <laughs> yeah, I finished, finished this up wow, real dark. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. it did get really dark. Everyone yeah, really dark. Pay attention to legislation in your state. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think it's always good when we discuss something like that to give people an option and let them know how to combat it as well mm -hmm. with the downside. Otherwise, it just seems like real dark shit and then nothing you can do about it. <laughs> get involved in the schools, get involved on a local level, on a state level, because that's where you're going to be able to make the difference. Yeah, yeah, and pay attention to who your kids are talking to, who your teens are talking to, who's giving them advice, mm -hmm. you know, and what their agendas are. That's, right. that's all I can say. All right. Well, on that note, thanks guys for listening to us here on Dig It with the speaker, myself, The Sharp Edge, and Corey from Corey's Digs. Be sure to check all the links in the description below. We are now on Stitcher and SoundCloud. And please be sure to share, like, subscribe, and hit that bell. We'll see you back next time right here on Dig It. Good job. Boom. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> <laughs>